I'm Weird. Welcome to Islington Mill is Queer. Islington Mill is Queer is a podcast series dedicated to recording the history and interviewing the queer individuals involved in shaping the history of one of the UK's most beloved artistic hubs and cultural centres. That being Salford's Islington Mill. Islington Mill is one of the UK's longest-running artist-led cultural spaces. And it's not just a physical building that contains art studios and residential spaces and used to have a music venue. It's also involved in various educational programmes and community-based events here in Chapel Street in Salford, which, if you don't know, is the neighbouring city to Manchester and sometimes gets mistaken for being a suburb or a borough of Manchester, even though technically Salford is older than Manchester itself. For the last episode of Islington Mill is Queer, episode number five, I interviewed Bill Campbell, who is the man who literally discovered Islington Mill as a potential artistic and cultural venue and inputted a lot of his time into renovating not just the building but founding Islington Mill as an idea of sorts and as an organisation. And for episode number six, I am very, very happy to finally be sitting down for an interview with Bill's not just life partner, Bill's husband, but also one of the major creative forces behind Islington Mill itself. And that is the artist Morris Carlin. I've known Maury for years now, but to be honest with you, I didn't really know much about his background. Um, He's quite a quiet, unassuming guy, but I was delighted in this interview to find out what how his involvement with Islington Mill came together, but also what his vision for Islington Mill moving forward is and how exciting that could be. I also got to talk to Mari about his involvement and his founding of the local festival Sounds from the Other City, which is one of the most important cultural events of the year in Islington Mill's calendar, but also for this particular part of Salford, which, even though it's very close to the city centre, doesn't really get that many people coming down. We also talked about the Islington Mill Art Academy that Mari is very closely involved in, even though that's been on a hiatus for the past ooh, almost two years of the COVID pandemic. And of course, we also bonded about a little thing, which is our home country of Ireland. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to pass you over to myself again <laughs> and our special guest for episode six of Islington Mill is Queer, Morris Carlin. We're here at Islington Mill. It is episode number six of the podcast series, Islington Mill is Queer. And today I am joined by a special guest, Morris Carlin. How are you doing, Mari? Very good. Very good. Uh, very happy to be here, Niall. Thank you for asking me to be involved. <laughs> no uh... problem. <laughs> so we have a traditional first question mm. that we ask everybody on this show. Mm. And I'll just hop straight to it. Maury, do you remember the first time you saw Islington Mill? Well, I I, I do and I don't. Um, it was um, after dark. Uh, one evening, let's see, it will have been September 
2003, I think. So it was the evening Bill and I met. Okay. We met at a at a a, a venue called well, it wasn't a venue; it was a party called Club Suicide. That uh, I think it ran in Manchester between 2000 and 2004. Um, it used to be in that bar that was under the Arndale. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> that no. kind of crate. There was a there was a bar in the Arndale. Right. Uh, no, I don't remember that. Which part of the Arndale? Um, it was like before the, the Arndale used to have a kind of like a bus, like a road that ran underneath it. Oh, okay. And and uh, and and so it was on on the back side of it, as I remember. It's it's, it's vague in my memory because these these are sort of very early days for me in Manchester. Uh-huh. But it was a bit like kind of looked a bit like say retro bar or something from the outside, that okay. kind of thing. But it was one of those places that like you know not really very many people ever went to but club suicide was there and then it went to charlie's so where bill and i met was in charlie's and ah, right, okay. and and we, like we, we have this thing where we were we're not quite sure when our anniversary is <laughs> but it's sort of i think we think it's like maybe the september october one club suicide was always the last friday of the month okay and um, so we met there um, and then we went back to the mill that night, and so, you know, I, you know, I had no idea where we were going. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were there was the two of us and Bill's friend John Trainer, um, and uh, Bill was living in the engine house at the time. So, um, and I was probably pretty pissed and whatever else, mm-hmm. you know. So the the evening is a bit of a haze. Okay. Um, I, what I do remember is is that. We were. I remember being in the engine house, and there being a massive big table, which was like, like effectively the kind of table that's just out here, a big sheet mm-hmm. of MDF. Yes. And and the three of us sat there, and I think Bill and I thinking, when's John gonna go home so we can get it on? <laughs> um, that that I remember that. But um, and then the next day, um, uh, I, Bill had to let me out of the building because. Uh, there was the only way in and out of it was through that massive big gate Mm -hmm. so um so yeah there was just that moment of him like letting me out of the building and i think probably both of us thought are we ever going to see each other again Mm. you know yeah um and um and and of course we did we met again (laughs) at club suicide Maybe about five months later. Okay. It was the next year, early next year, we met again at Club Suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, and I remember like walking home that morning and thinking, where the fuck am I? You know, <laughs> I've never ever been to this part of Manchester. Yeah. And this was like, you know, Salford. Yeah. Um, at that time, you know, there was a little estate there and stuff, but it was largely, a lot of it was derelict. Right, right. You know, um, I mean, com- completely unrecognisable to, to w- what it is today with all these new apartments and stuff. But yeah, yeah. so that was when I first encountered the mill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it might have been things like that gate yeah. that are in my memory yeah. of, what it, of what it was like, you yeah. know. Um, well, you mentioned it yourself. But it should be quite plain to the listeners, really, judging from your accent. 
you're not from around these parts, are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. How many times do we do you get asked that question? <laughs> yeah, you're not from around here. Yeah. So, Mari, where are you from? So, I'm from a place called Donegal in Ireland, mm-hmm. um, and um, I've been living in Manchester since the late nineties. Um, okay. Like I, I, we, myself, I moved over here in the late nineties, but I did go back to Ireland for a year because my dad was ill. Okay. So, but and then I came back. But yeah, sort of roughly since that time. Did you leave Ireland to come to Manchester? Um, I'd kind of like uh, I grew up on a farm in Ireland. The okay. Quick story: I grew up on a farm. Um, uh, left school when I was sixteen, became the farmer for a bit. Um, then realized I was gay. Mm -hmm. You know, there weren't, at that time in Ireland, gay people were not seen of or heard of. There was no such thing as gay people. Um, You can probably attest to that yourself. Full disclosure, (laughs) I'm Irish myself, so I know what you're talking about. However, I'm from the diagonally opposite end of the island of Ireland, yes. Donegal, yeah. from the very south. So there is some difference there. Yeah, there's a the, yeah, there's a there's a bit a bit of difference there. Um, but uh, so yeah, I, I was 21, I think, when I moved to London. Okay, went to London and you know didn't know anyone there. Um, went um, with enough money, I think, to last me in a youth hostel for two or three weeks. Yeah. on a mission then to kind of get a job and and find a, a place to live and I, I did do those things but uh, you know and I lasted in London for maybe a year and a half but I really struggled um, and I was just doing like you know washing pots and restaurants and security guard and any of those kind of jobs you can get yeah. and then I went back to Belfast where my brother was and that was still before the Good Friday Agreement of 1998 oh, wow. so okay. so Belfast was still you know in the midst of the troubles and like a pretty depressing place to be yeah. if I'm being honest and we were like you know let's get the fuck out of here Let, let's go to England and we were just like oh Manchester there was some good bands that came out of Manchester yeah. wasn't there like you know maybe we should just go there mm-hmm. and it was as literally as scientific as that <laughs> you know <laughs> that was our reasoning yeah. to go to Manchester that we knew some good bands had come out of there Mm-hmm. And that's why we went there. And again, you know, we didn't know anyone. Yeah. Um, but found I found Manchester a lot warmer and and friendlier. And and yeah, you did get asked the question, "Where are you from?" Mm-hmm. Or it would actually more likely be, um, uh, it would often be, "Where are you from, Ireland?" Oh, my nan's Irish, yes. or that kind of thing. So it was yeah. usually quite a, uh, you know. Yes, people are telling you that you don't, you're not from here, and there is a thing in that. But it's also it's done in a different way, a kind of warm yeah. way. Yeah. So I, I, I did feel like Manchester was a place that I could um, find my way in in a way that I just wasn't able to in London. Mm-hmm. So dialing back a bit, then. Yeah. You've already met Bill at this yeah. point. Full disclosure: you and Bill are married now. Yes, as so, of this year. As of this year, that's true. <laughs> but I think everyone who has come into contact with Islington Mill in the last 15, maybe, years or so knows that you and Bill are a couple. Mm. You're kind of like some of the founding members of this organisation, the founders of 
this building and what it is and what it does, which we'll get to in a bit. But just to dial back, uh, so you'd already had a one-night stand with Bill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened after that? How did you end up coming back to Islington Mill again? Well, then, like I said, we we didn't see each other. And I don't think we'd even exchanged phone numbers um, at that point. And this was before... Did you have a mobile phone? We had yes. mobile phones, as I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, we had like those little Nokia yeah, phones. Yeah, but not smartphones. Not smartphones. Yeah. So, yeah, like, so... I don't. I don't know if we exchanged phone numbers, and maybe that's why. I know Bill ha- has said that he thought he'd never see me again, and that was just one night. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not sure. I can't remember what was going through my head, but Manchester is a small city, isn't it? And yes. you kind of can run yeah, into is. people. Yeah. You know, on the gay scene as well. Yeah, and um, and so we did see each other again in Club Suicide the next time, and then. Um, and I, and I don't remember how we got... I mean, we definitely exchanged numbers then and then we obviously met up, but I don't remember how... I mean, I know that our relationship at the start was quite... Um, what would you say? I mean, I was in a I was in a place where I was in, in denial about so many things, you know, and, okay. um, and really very in, immature, like, um, you know, in terms of being able to be in a relationship okay you yeah. know because of like you know growing up in catholic repressed ireland being gay mm-hmm. you know not being taught anything about sex or sexuality or having no and, and being not having very much education of you know so but but bill i think kind of did persevere yeah. <laughs> with me and you know i have like I do regret a lot of how I behaved in those days. Right, okay. Yeah, you know, um but you know, we 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 you know, so it definitely wasn't one of those relationships where it was like we're so in love right now and it's kind of like you, you know, we, yeah. it wasn't one of those kind of like madly in love and then it peters out after yes. a yeah, year yeah. or two. It uh-huh. was more like where there's these two people that are Finding or have have this fascination with each other, but but it's it it they there there's there's something in the way, uh-huh. and 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 it's taken us a long time to figure out like what those things are, and you know a lot of the work that we've done in more recent years has been to really understand you know like attachment theory and to understand you know how the the childhoods we had um, and the relationship we had with our parents and uh, uh, you know it, it plays out in our relationship as a couple yeah of course you know uh, you know so mm-hmm. um, and of course then we were totally unaware of that so yeah. we keep hitting roadblocks yeah why is this person behaving in this way yeah why are they so avoidant of everything yeah yeah you know what, what like what's wrong with them mm-hmm. you know they're they're not behaving rationally yeah you know but now it's like so clear yeah. When you when you when with hindsight and when you understand some of the psychology. Mm-hmm. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. As they say. Yeah. But I mean there must have been something going right because you but like take us through it. So you, you became very involved in Islington Mill. How did that all come together? Well, um 
How did it all come together? So what I, what I, myself and my brother, Mark, we were, um, we had started a little record label called Dead Digital. Okay. And we'd, we'd been putting out a handful of releases and stuff. And we were like doing some gigs and uh, we, were, we were putting on some parties and gigs and that kind of thing. So a lot of the people we knew were people that were involved with that, like sort of music-y people and, you know, that kind of thing. And um, and I think the, the the crowd that Bill was sort of going about with mostly at that time were maybe more artists because because the, there was there was maybe a half a floor of studios on the first floor and maybe a handful of studios on this floor here where we are now the fourth floor. Okay, right. So there was there could, maybe there was like twenty or twenty or twenty five artists. I'm not hundred percent sure how many were here. Okay. Um, uh, so 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 Bill, you know, Bill's crew was sort of that that lot, and then what we started doing was like we we had a few maybe there were birthday parties in the engine house because the engine house was the only building that had been refurbished at that point, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and 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 yeah, and, and we, we we like we had we had some parties and they were like brilliant parties, you know, and we could like we you know stay up all night and just do whatever mm-hmm. um and, and and you know the engine house is a brilliant venue for it um and then um shortly after that and then and a couple of other things happened i got a job mm-hmm. um in salford working for the council and the homeless team okay and i also got a flat opposite the mill in arthur millwood court so one of the blocks just opposite. So I was spending a lot more time in Salford, working here, spending time with Bill and living across the road. Okay. Um, and then there was one day where I was literally on my bike and I was just cycling up Chapel Street and I noticed on the corner of Chapel Street and Bloom Street, there was a pub on each corner. Mm-hmm. And just this little idea popped into my head. Oh, what would it be to have a little one day festival with a different independent promoter in each one of these venues right. and we'd all get more a uh, bigger audience than we would do on our own and it could yeah. be like a little mini festival okay and then took that idea to my brother mark and he was excited by it and bill was excited by it uh and that was basically the 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 the, the birth of sounds from the other city right okay and the other city being salford yes you know because at that time it very much was the other city and it wasn't in most people's minds they didn't even know it was a city at all yeah when I first arrived in Manchester in 2010 I remember seeing adverts for sounds from the other city and I didn't realise what it meant I thought it was this city isn't London like this is Manchester this is the other major city I didn't understand what that meant it was only actually I think it was only after a couple of years that I realised that oh it means Salford exactly yeah yeah so how did that go? Obviously, and, like, Sounds from the Other City is quite a big deal now, and I feel like it's very integral to the artistic and cultural life of Salford and this specific area, this part of Salford. Yeah. But also to Islington Mill, I think it's become very intertwined. Like, what was, you know, how did the connection between Islington Mill itself and those four pubs, how did that happen? Well, um, one of them... Well, well, there's a few things to say. First of all, so um, prior to this, and I didn't know this at the time when that when the idea popped into my head. But prior to this, um, 
uh, Bill and other people like Rachel Goodyear had been involved with a kind of art version of the same thing okay. called, um, there, were, there was two of them, one was called Chapel Street Open, the other called Show One, a few years before that where they took on various different little venues and non-venues on Chapel Street and had different art, art shows in each of them. So, so there was a sort of precedent there for it. Um, and then one of those pubs was the King's Arms. Oh, okay. I, I, I think one of them was the King's Arms. Um, so, and and Joe, who now works here at the mill, yeah, was was landlady of that, right? Um, at the time, I think so, or it might have been a bit later, but I'm pretty sure Joe was there in the King's Arms at that point. So there was a link there. Okay, but some of them we didn't know at all, and even one of them. Uh, one of them on the morning of the first festival, like we showed up and they were like they didn't know what huh. they they totally forgotten. Yeah, uh, there was there was having having a party for somebody who just got out of jail, <laughs> um, and they were just like you know, you know, and that was very very difficult to try and make that happen. So mm. it was a bit of a job to get some of them on side, you know. Yeah, yeah, and also like. It, it like a lot like that that part of Salford at the time was very was quite derelict there wasn't mm. on Chapel Street it was there was a lot of buildings that were just boarded up or or, or not in use mm-hmm. you know so I, I, I think it was a, a you know <coughs> the, and, the, and the challenge we had at the mill at the time was actually to just get people to come to Salford yes or to even know yes. that it was a place absolutely you know so but you know, it it went really well, and maybe one of the best parts of it was the after show party, which was in the t- which was in the uh, the engine house. And ah, okay. There's the connection. There. Yes, and and I think and this was sort of the bir- I would say the birth of the club at the mill and of of live music and clubbing at the mill. Okay. Because you know we. Um, uh, we we had the after show party at the engine house. Bill had been living in the engine house, mm-hmm. but um uh and but needed some money. And Jules, uh, Jules D. Martino and Katie White, yeah. who went on to be the Ting Tings, yeah. um, came around looking for studios. And Bill just showed them ev- showed them everywhere, like he would do every, every anybody. And they were interested in the engine house. Yeah, and he was like, "Oh well, I do live there." And they were like, "Oh well, we're looking for a place where we could live and record." So he decided to rent it to them and 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 to clear out all his stuff so we could do the after party and for for the first sounds in there and then they would move in. So that was a massive job to kind of like clear everything out um, of there. But we did this after party and like, I don't know, there was maybe like four 400 people at the first wow. festival. I think it was about 400 people. Yeah. But it felt like, you know, twice that many turned up to the after party. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they, I don't know where they came from. Yeah. But there was effectively one toilet in this whole building. <laughs> and it was just like absolutely chaos, yeah. you know, but but in such a good way. Yeah. And there's people all over that courtyard, just everywhere, up these fire escapes, just everywhere. Um, and, it, and, and, you know, and it was about Harry. The police turned up at various times and, mm. <clears throat> you know, um, I remember Bill and I sort of walking the police through and like looking at what they were seeing and thinking, what the fuck are they thinking is going on here? Yeah. But they didn't shut it down. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
And and so what happened was that Bill moved out of the engine house and moved up here into the fourth floor where we are now recording yep. this. Yeah. Um and, and he had previously lived here before he moved into the engine house. Oh yeah, of course. So he moved back up here. I moved in with him uh-huh. and his cousin from Australia lived here and then Jane Compton moved in as well. Yes. So the four of us were living here. Jane had been doing Club Brenda and mm-hmm. she had well she had stopped she had stopped doing Club Brenda for a while. So she so then we did a few more uh a few more birthday parties up here. Okay. And, and, and so we were still kind of doing house parties, but effectively they were in kind of places like this. Yeah. So we did a few more kind of house party type things and then Jane decided to resurrect Club Brenda. Um, and at that point we had gotten, the, the, the city council were, were given out small grants this is still at the time where, where local authorities had some money. Mm-hmm. So they were given out some small grants and we, we got a grant to build a gallery yeah. Where, where the gallery is in the ground floor. So we built the gallery. Mm-hmm. And when we built the gallery, there was a bit left over, which became the club. But what we found is, is that first night that we had, I think it was probably a club Brenda, yeah. maybe on Halloween or something like that. Yeah. We found that everybody wanted to go into the other bit that wasn't the gallery, the bit behind it that became the club. Yeah. And and they all maybe because it was dark and a bit I don't know what but they all gravitated in towards there, so then that just became the club after wow. that. Okay, you know because it was just sort of seemed to be where people wanted to be, yeah. um, and 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 effectively, you know we just got like because this place in its previous life. Um, it had been like a, a, a cheap furniture storage place. Mm-hmm. So there was tons of like old metal filing cabinets and that kind of stuff. We just yanked some of them down, turned them on their side. That became a bar. Yeah. Uh, we got an old rig, I think, that had been in the Hacienda once. Okay. Uh, it, was, it was awful. It sounded awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and set that up. And, 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 and maybe we had a couple of risers for a stage, I think. Mm-hmm all very very basic but effectively we had a club yeah um and and then those and at that point then we were starting to do like a party maybe every two or three months maybe it would be like maybe somebody's birthday or christmas and they were you know usually i guess they were kind of i can't even remember how we would have advertised things in those days maybe it was like mass you remember you, know, you could do like a mass yeah. text message or something yeah, rave text yeah, yeah that yeah. kind of thing yeah you know so um and some of them were like a bit hairy because like they you know literally you'd have hundreds of people turning up and it was also the place that was open all night so people would turn up yes whenever, whenever they couldn't go anywhere else mm-hmm. um but you know just brilliant brilliant parties with like so much freedom to just run around this whole building effectively yeah. and do whatever the fuck you know you and, wanted and presumably sounds was going from strength to strength at this point too and, and then and then of course sounds was continuing uh, on from that like every year and 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 you know um growing in venues so there was like you know more venues added up and down chapel street yeah. you know and and when i say venues i mean you know, the, these were places that had never been used as a venue. They were like the church or the the Angel Community Centre yes. or, you know, these odd little places. But that was part of the charm yeah. in a way is, you know, t- uh, is to is to have live music in these funny, odd little places. And yeah. and, all, and also to find that some of the people like, say, the, the vicar, Reverend Andy Salmon, 
was was a massive music fan and he was really up for live music happening and then he started to do his own live music wow. after that yeah you know so you know find finding it a, fair, a fairly welcoming place and also another thing i think that happened is is that like uh, all those little pubs um you know they'd maybe have like two people in there mm. on a bank holiday weekend yeah and suddenly they had like you know, six hundred people in over the whole day, and they were making a fortune. Yeah. So maybe it took a little bit of work to convert them into the idea the first time, but after that, mm-hmm. they were totally sold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because they were probably making more money that day than they made totally. in a month. Considering as well how close to the city centre it is. Exactly. It's a very. I mean, it's funny talking about this now because I'm looking at the window directly onto Chapel Street and thinking about what's out there now, and it's a very different landscape. Yeah. now to what it was then which was like about 15 ish years ago um, and I mean some of those like the the two venues you just mentioned the Angel Centre and the church are still there and I think most of the pubs are still there but um, it's completely changed in terms of the redevelopment of this area which I think it was kind of always going to happen to be honest because it is so close to the city centre it's very undervalued in that way but now I think they're seeing the value of it um, but that is interesting thinking about like the development of this area I mean has that had an effect because sounds are still going obviously there hasn't mm. been two now right because of there hasn't yeah. been two because of COVID, COVID. Yeah. but um, say in 2019 has the changing face of Chapel Street and this general area Islington estate um, impacted on sounds I mean it must have uh, in terms of the experience of what it's like yeah. for people to to um I, I don't know if I'm the right person to answer that because you know obviously I've been so okay. and yeah. uh, so in many ways you know uh, we might get onto this later you know I I kind of feel like because I was so wrapped up in the organizing of these things that the actual experience of them mm-hmm. sort of bypassed me a bit yeah, yeah. you know uh, it might be true of anybody who's org- self-organizing stuff yeah. um I don't know what it's like as an experience for people. I think having region trade in the state definitely has helped yes. um, in terms of creating a kind of, you know, a hub yeah. with the mill and the region trade in the state. And, uh, you know, and, and that's one thing Sounds didn't have in the early days. And I think there was, it got to a point where it almost had stretched too far up and down yeah. Chapel Street where it might take you like 40 minutes to get from one pub to another. Yeah. And I think that that there was a point where it stretched too far, maybe. And and I think having Regents and the Mill mm-hmm. and having a hub d- has created more of a festivaly vibe. Yes, you know, which is important, and yeah. and that's why um, you know we are we are devoting a lot of our time right now to to working with the council mm-hmm. to explore regions as a long-term yeah. little cultural neighborhood for the benefit of listeners who don't know what that is can you explain what regions estate is yeah so it's like um <clears throat> on the back of islington mill um uh, on the uh sainsbury side i guess manchester side sort of um uh, it's a, it's a, a it's an industrial estate effectively with five big 1980s warehouses um and we since 2013 we've um 
uh, sort of been taken custodianship of those on behalf of the council um, and, and rent them to artists. And, and there's a little community garden there now. Things like signs has been able to happen there. There's there's a lot of like nice little events mm-hmm. that say Fat Out and Partisan, amongst others, are doing at the moment there. Actually, what we should also make clear is that when we talked about earlier, you were talking about the development of the venue space downstairs on the ground floor. That's not being used as a venue at the moment, is it? So that's why also there's another motive for developing Regent's estate because can you explain what happened then with the venue? So, yeah, so I suppose like, you know, like you were sort of wanting to know like what what difference did I make to the the, the trajectory of the mill? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and the mill, I would say, you know, has had lots of people kind of like intersect with its journey and sort of change the direction yes. a little bit yeah. in some way um, and I think what my my the change that maybe I I brought is is the music okay. and is, is the kind of party side of things yeah you know I think up until that it was more like an art space and a, a, a place where where um, uh, artists made things fashion and and and, and, and yeah across the board like uh, you know, like all sorts of artists, and, and Bill's always been very open to having, you know, to not being just like a studio for painters or whatever, in the way that a lot of the other studios were mm-hmm. quite strict around that. So, um, so, so I, I, I think my contribution was to bring that side of things to it, and I think that's kind of joined together with the artists. Um, so, you know, um, as we were developing the club, you know, from being this very ad hoc kind of space, mm-hmm. um, we were also building more studios. And, a, and I have to say a lot of this was because there were, there were grants available. Okay. Um, th- they weren't massive grants, but they were about 10 grand, as I recall, okay. you know, um, uh, from the city council. And they, and they weren't that hard to get little business development grants. Um, so we were able to build some studios and that kind of thing. Um, um, uh, we built a recording studio as well, okay. built the gallery out with those grants. Um, and, and so we were, so the, the artistic community was growing here because there were more studios available. The club was becoming more established and, and it was, there was now events beginning to happen sometimes every weekend. Okay. You know, um, uh, then uh bill and i uh well bill refurbished the 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 building next to the engine house called paramatta which is sometimes called the b&b because it became a kind of b&b so we moved from the fourth floor down to there and then in the in the this is now probably 2009 2010 okay um and we um the, we, we lived we had our bedroom was upstairs and we had three bedrooms downstairs and so we started to invite a lot of bands and artists to stay there so what would tend to happen is, is the people who would play in the club if they were especially if they were on a tour mm-hmm. they would um, uh, stay in the B&B overnight yeah so and, and we'd often have like residencies with people where they'd come maybe for a week like people like Lydia Lunch if you remember yeah. and stuff like yeah. that 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 would come and stay for a week and do a little residency and work mm-hmm. with people in that way. So it was 
really great to have that living side of things alongside the alongside the the, the, the club and I, and I, I always think that 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 is the thing that made the mill different because it wasn't just a kind of scuzzy warehouse venue it was it was also a home it was also a place where people lived and it, yeah. and, it and it it had that level of care because there were other people like um, an artist called David Williams who had started to live in a studio and he his his practice was in photographing uh flowers okay uh, part of his practice was that so he cultivated this really stunningly beautiful garden in the courtyard yeah with these like like amazing kind of blooms mm-hmm. and um because he wanted to photograph them you'd see him out at night he photographed them at night time for some reason you'd see him out with a pen torch and the camera yeah <laughs> in the courtyard but you know so uh, this like very harsh old industrial building suddenly it was like growing these really soft edges to it yeah and so you know people were coming to this place and i'd often hear them in the courtyard saying what is this place mm. you know because they yeah. could see it wasn't just a scuzzy warehouse yeah that that there was something else happening and i think that like those homely elements like created something quite distinctive yeah yeah you know and so i i always think that that side of it is very much at the heart of what makes the mill special the fact that people live here yeah you know it's not just a workplace and i think when people live somewhere they bring that extra level of care yeah you know to the place uh-huh. you know they, they if where you live you want it to be like uh, you, you want certain things for it that maybe yes. you, you might forgo for your workplace. Yeah. You know, so, um, and, and obviously, you know, we're we're doing this big refurb right now, but mm-hmm. and, and, and what we're creating is a place for people to live on the top floor. Yeah. So, you know, we definitely want that kind of ethos to be very much central to the mill's future. Yeah. As, as well as its past because we can see that you know the people who live in those spaces become custodians of the place yeah you know and they and they 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 become the face of the place and they become the kind of the life of it yeah you know and and um and you'll have seen that yourself with with many of the people that that yeah. live here that you know yourself Absolutely. so and so like i i would say that is absolutely fundamental and that is like what that that is what the place thrives on yeah you know if it was just a workplace where everyone went home at like you know six or seven or whatever mm-hmm. um then i think it would it, it would be feel very different yeah, yeah. you know so um, and also like because from my point of view when i first arrived in manchester i'd been um working and living on the art scene in glasgow before that and there were a few of us invested in a space that was kind of similar to Islington Mill and that was a reclaimed industrial space that we had set up studios in. Um, and that was called the Chateau. But when I remember arriving here and it was just like, oh my God, I'd already I'd left Glasgow and the Chateau had ended in not a very nice way. Um, but I remember coming to Islington Mill and feeling very much like, oh my God, this is what we were trying to achieve with that kind of space. And it was like... It was weird because it felt very familiar when I arrived here, even though I do understand what you were saying about people who would come and be like, what is this place? I kind of understood what it was already. It was like, it's a urban art reclaimed artistic hub 
space but it is interesting hearing you articulate as well as what it was in that way what it was that made it different and that element of like well people lived here and cared for the space they curated the space as much as they did the happenings within the space because they were invested in the space because they were living here and I think that is interesting for me to actually that clicks with me now to think like yeah what was it about Islington it wasn't just the fact that obviously there had been access to some grants and stuff to like build a, a studio build a venue you know it was the additional elements of like there's a courtyard and there's like loads of lush plants and stuff and also there was a real community vibe here already like you could tell that a lot of the people who came here knew each other yeah and this was obviously very much a hub and it was also very like fairly easy to just like you know meet people and talk to people and kind of ingratiate yourself into that hub it definitely felt very welcoming in that way which i think probably does spring out of the fact that not just artistically it was like genuinely a community because people were living here yeah and 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 also i think a queer community yeah you know and and i think that is that is important you know that we're we're talking about islington mill is queer and we're 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 tracing the queer roots of the place you know all the people i've mentioned there are all queer people yeah um and i think um my reflection on that now looking back on it is that um i i feel that what we were doing was you know um we were uh you know, uh, cr- creating you know versions of of things like you know um, home, mm-hmm. um, social spaces, yeah. a school. You know, yeah. uh, we did. We, I haven't talked about that, but one of the things that I started here was uh, an alternative art school. Okay, and I think all of those things are things that queer people historically struggle with. You know, in the real world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I and 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 I think we we here at the mill, we created our own versions of them where we could mm-hmm. be a part of them and where where you know where they were a kinder version that 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 yeah. that, that that we could join in with. Yeah. So you know, I think in that sense, um, the DNA of the place is is is, is queer in that sense. You yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, tell us about that school then, because yeah, you haven't mentioned it at all. Yeah. So. Well, when when I you know I, I I said earlier um I I finished my schooling when I was sixteen and I became a farmer and I've never been to university um so um when and when I came to the mill I had been um I had been making music and 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 then and then the music had kind of given away to doing more promoting stuff okay. and I, and 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 sounds from the other city was part of that. But I, I still had this urge to be creative myself, mm-hmm. and um, and then you know through coming to the mill, I was me- I was I was finding out about art for the first time, and you know I I don't think I think the first time I ever went into a gallery was with Bill okay. somewhere. I'd never been inside a gallery. I knew zero about art. Um, you will know that there are no art galleries in Donegal. There might yeah. be now. <laughs> there might be now, actually. Yeah. There's an art gallery in Dungarvan now. Is there? Yeah, there so, is. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's a bit of research I need to do. But um, there certainly wasn't any when I was growing up. Um, uh, you know, no really cultural places at all or what we would think of as cultural places in this country. There was, mm. you know, um, but... 
so I was I was meeting artists and designers and like been amazed at these things they were making, mm. you know, um, and very excited by it. So I um, did uh, I did like an art foundation course, which which I think a lot of people say is the most fun part of an art education. It's the it's that one year where you get to try out loads of things yeah. before you decide which one of them you want to sort of specialize in and then you do maybe do a degree in that but I just did the art education bit and um and and met um an artist here at the mill called Helmut Lemke a a German artist who uh, was a little bit older than us um and he had told he told me that he'd never been to my assumption first of all was that artists didn't go to university I had this idea that art was something like that you just had this talent for Mm -hmm. and you just did and you didn't need to be taught like music exactly yeah and so when i came to the mill and i realized all these people have degrees it was a surprise to me you know but then helmet he told me well i've never been to university i'm self-taught i've just worked i've picked this up as i've gone along and then um this was shortly after tuition fees had been introduced in the UK. So, you know, as a as a group of foundation students, we were talking about this, you know, what like we were having a conversation about what is the what is the value of an art education? Mm. You know, what what can you expect for your money? Yeah. Which is probably questions that no one ever asked before that when education was free. You know, yeah. I was literally the last year it was nine. I started in ninety seven, and it was ninety eight. Was the year that they brought in the fees? Exactly, so Tony I, Blair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I missed it by a year, very luckily. Yeah. So, um, and, and so I, I think maybe maybe what had happened then was that the, that the fees had gone up. So maybe they were there at a low level, but they had, there was a proposal for them to go up again, um, because they they hiked up and up a few times before they got to where they are now. Yeah. Uh, you know. So. Um, so we were having that conversation um, and I was also talking to Helmut and I knew we had all this space at the mill. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so what we did, uh, what, what I organized to do was before we left that foundation course, we did this a couple of like kind of summer schools. They were maybe in April, May time on the fifth floor of the mill, which is the floor we're now developing. Okay. Um, and we worked with Helmut and his partner Kerry Morrison. They're they're now married, another artist. Um, and they just set us these crazy kind of briefs, like go out into Salford and stand in the phone box for an hour and write down everything you hear, or you know, very conceptual kind of art briefs. You yeah. know that that were that we thought like because we were you know on foundation course and we were being maybe doing quite traditional kind of things. We found very exciting and a little bit kind of wild and crazy yeah. and we were also up in this fifth floor where there wasn't there were no materials but there was like just Salford was your material and it, because it was all derelict that land where Middlewood Locks was was just a massive big brownfield site yeah. and so we would go out and drag back all this kind of bits of like marble and wood and stuff we'd find there and make these kind of like found art kind of installations and things up mm-hmm. on the fifth floor and it was just very very exciting and, and and everyone got so much from it so in the end there were about three or four of us from that foundation year that decided not to go to university yeah. and to set up an alternative school here okay um and we were very very much supported by 
artists who had studios in the building mm-hmm. like Rachel Goodyear and, yeah. and others who would come up and do talks with us and say I'll you know tell them tell us about their work and what they did and mm. stuff like that and um, and then it just really grew from there you know and um, um, and, and it, it has been go has been growing from there consistently until until the pandemic so the the last group was was the group just before the pandemic right um, so and and you so know wh- when did it start? So that's it started in two thousand and seven. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and you know and I I learned how to be an artist through that. Yeah. You know because I that that was my art education. Mm-hmm. I, I probably on reflection I think maybe what I learned most about was was about self organization. Okay. You know because I was the one organizing it. Uh, you know primarily although it was a self-organized groups we were all part of that to some extent yeah um but it started in 2007 and up until pandemic 2019 yeah Yeah. right so it's been going for quite a while yeah 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 totally totally and 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 you know people coming into it sometimes people might stay for three months sometimes Mm -hmm. they were there for three years Mm -hmm. so there was no graduation Mm. You know, you decided yourself when you felt ready to leave. Yeah. You know, wh- when you wanted to move on and work more independently or do something else. Yeah. You know, so, um, and we, and you know, we did lots of things. We, 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 we did like kind of alternative graduation parties where that, you know, everyone dressed up in like bin bag gowns uh-huh. and we had like, t- like 12 inch records yeah. for mortar boards and, yeah. and gave people these daft certificates for whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, a lot of it was kind of like taking the piss out of yeah, out of like m- mainstream education, mm-hmm. and and just how kind of you know stupid and pointless it can be at times. Yeah. Um. And and you know, I think we were trying to get to like a really true sense of maybe what what learning is, you know, and you, you know, just just as 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 a as a as a kind of passion, something that you you know you just really want to do because you love love it so much mm. and um and you know i i, I mean I, I i i struggled at school as a kid and i think a lot of queer people do yeah you know i think school is a quite a hostile place for a queer kid yes but um but i love learning mm-hmm. and i've realized that as an adult that you know learning is one of the things that um that that brings me joy in life, yeah. you know, and 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 it's the learning process itself mm-hmm. that I that I I think is is the valuable bit. Yeah, you know, and I think it is important as we get older to keep learning, and to not like stop learning at any point, um, just to keep our minds active, if if nothing else. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So, is it uh, presuming that twenty twenty two everything will be back to normal will it be back definitely in 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 some form but mm-hmm. i would i would imagine a changed some a somewhat changed form and i don't i'm not too sure yet because we're just kind of thinking about all of the component parts of the mill and how they're all going to fit together because yeah. we will have these new spaces available yeah. you know a, a, a lot of new spaces you know new islington mill mm-hmm. um because of the, the the european grant that we got will now be like an art, art art space yeah um and that that will have a whole load of different types of spaces in it and there'll be the residential place on the mm-hmm. fifth floor yeah so so yeah you know i think like 
the 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 core kind of um, principle of the art academy that that people could come together and support each other in their independent learning, mm-hmm. and that that doesn't have to cost anything, and that and that we can all we've all have something to teach each other yeah. and share with each other. That core principle is definitely something that we want to have as absolutely central to the mill as we go forward yeah you know and i would love it if like the whole mill was thought of as some kind of crazy fucked up anti-university yeah you know like what universities once were where they were this place where all of the freaks and the mavericks yeah kind of like gravitated towards yeah do you know what i mean yeah i do what what you mean you know but like um invisible college yeah like the invisible college where you know supposedly like real brainiacs like isaac newton and stuff were taught things that were extracurricular so to say so it was the stuff that was rejected by you know mainstream academia was being taught in secret to secret societies (laughs) kind of in a really cool way yeah totally and you know I mean, I'm sure some of that does happen on on and on, on in various parts of the internet. But I yeah. think I think there's something very powerful about it when it when it also has when it has a real world yeah. presence. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's something extra powerful about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, shall we move on to talking about the future of the mill? Then? Yeah, which is quite a big question, I guess. What Mari, how do you envisage the future of the mill moving on from, let's take it from like the finishing of the fifth floor above, but also ugh, pandemic is over and things are back to people can come to spaces and interact as we did up until the start of 2020. So, I mean, I think, you know, we've just been talking about some of the the philosophies or the, the, the principles. I'm trying yeah. to think of what the best word is for for what I think makes the mill distinctive and special, yeah. you know that that idea of it being a home mm-hmm. and 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 a place where people bring care to um, and and show care. That idea of it being a place, a kind of anti-university, a place where people, you know, come together to support each other's learning, facilitate mm-hmm. each other's growth. Yeah. Um, and for that to not have to cost anything yeah. except your willingness to take part. Um, that, you know, that the idea of self-organization, the kind of model of sounds from the other city, you know, they were, 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 were each all doing, playing a part and creating a scene in a city. Yeah. And if, when that all comes together, it can be hugely joyous and celebratory and very, very powerful. Yeah. So all of those things, you know, I I want and would love to have as really central to the mill as it moves forward. Uh-huh. Um, we we mentioned earlier around um, being kind of almost in uncharted territory for an arts led artist led organization because I think most artist led organizations don't tend to last this long. Yeah, you know, a lot of them do peter out after five years or more yeah. whereas the mill has now been around for over 20 years yeah the building itself 
is going to be 200 in yeah. in 2023 yeah. um so but but you know what is it what does an artist led organization look like at 25 yeah you know we we do have some formal structures like boards mm-hmm. that we have needed to put in place in order to access the funding to give the place a future yeah um and how you know how do those things sit alongside this kind of very spontaneous you know sort of artist-led approach whereby i've got an idea for something to happen today and um i i i I, I do it and it happens tomorrow and that kind of spirit and energy i think is very much at the heart of what makes artist-led organizations really vibrant yeah so um these are all things that I think we can make space for. Um, and I think it really is about making space for them. And what we do have now is m- what we will have is more space than we've ever had. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and so for me, it's about how, how we can build that kind of like flexibility into it because, you know, when when at you know if we go back to where we were at the start of this podcast and talking about the mill around 2003 2004 mm. um people would come to bill and i all the time and say i've got an idea for something mm-hmm. could i use that space and we would always say yes because there was no skin of our nose it was just there and it was yeah. available to use so you know it's about for me i think it's about how we can like you know have that available for people to use and to to make things and 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 it's about kind of like trusting that artists will do something amazing if you just kind of like let them do it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that like because artists i think and i'm talking about the whole range of creative artists are so passionate about what they do they're going to put in 500 percent. yeah you know anyway so you, you, all you've got to do is just like create the space for people yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah. And and sometimes we've been hampered by that because we've been battling with a old building that has needed a lot of TLC. Yeah. But it is two hundred years old. And it is two hundred years old. Yeah. But in the future, you know, hopefully we we have a building that that where the water isn't pouring into it every mm. winter. You know, and where it does, where you you're not battling with the building, so that you are free to focus on the thing that you're good at, which yeah. is the creativity. Yeah.